What's up, guys, and welcome to the Toby Agency Podcast Network. We just launched our third show called Entrepreneurship Sucks, hosted by Andrew Hong, CEO of Toby Agency. If you've ever wondered what the not-so-obvious personal challenges of being an entrepreneur are, you should definitely check out this insightful podcast. You can also listen to new episodes every other Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. For more information and content like this, head over to tobyagency.co slash podcast. You need to make sure that the content you create not only is helping your audience, but how can you go talk to your sales team? How can you talk to your sales enablement team and say, what content do you need so that the individual's experience with HubSpot, pre-purchase, purchase, and post-purchase actually matches? Video performs extremely well for gaining the attention of the audience. Making it the acquisition offer has been difficult for us. Yep. So people like that transactional model where I yep. fill out a form and I get something in return. With video, you're asking them to spend a lot more time. It's not something they can take away with them. That's Kyle Denhoff, head of global acquisitions campaigns at HubSpot. On this episode, we talk about how you should think about your campaign strategies, how to build the right content for your sales and marketing teams, and we take a sneak peek behind the curtain of what HubSpot's customer acquisition process looks like. This is Lights, Camera, Grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Lights, Camera, Grow podcast. My name is Jared. I'm sitting here with Andrew, and today we are joined by Kyle Denhoff. What's going on, Kyle? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Kyle is the head of global acquisition campaigns at HubSpot. I'll let you go ahead and break that down a little bit. But yeah, just give us give us in the audience a little insight on what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So at HubSpot, our marketing department's broken down uh, to the different phases of the flywheel, right? Uh, so our model is to attract an audience, engage that audience, and ultimately delight that audience. So I sit in the attract phase. I'm focused on acquisition efforts, trying to drive leads and users for the business. Um, and my team focuses on campaigns. So we're looking at plays that have a start and an end date. So the campaign may last 30 days, 90 days. Um, and these can be content campaigns where we're offering people uh, net new content for their uh, for downloads or some tools. So a lot of times we'll build some free tools to help people uh, in their day-to-day business. So uh, focus primarily on the campaigns play where we're getting something out the door uh, and we're trying to promote it during a set period of time. Cool. I have one question for you. So, you know, you got a pretty cool title there, head of global acquisition campaigns at HubSpot. Obviously, HubSpot is a pretty global company, you know, covers a lot of different markets, you know, and, and that's really good that you kind of just said like, hey, Mark, my job is kind of defined by campaigns that have a very specific start and end date. Um, what kind of metrics are you looking at? Like number of MQLs generated, number of closed deals, a number of SQLs passed to the sales team. Um, how do you typically start to think about metrics um, for each of your campaigns? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think we're primarily gold on leads, right? So we want to be able to bring people into the business, new contacts and companies that would be interested in our products. Um, my team does want to look at metrics both the, on effectiveness and efficiency. So not only are we driving leads, are those leads actually QLing? So are they taking an action and trying to um, connect them with our sales team? Uh, and then we're also looking at more channel-specific metrics. So which channels are driving uh, the most efficient leads for us? Sometimes uh, our campaigns can drive a ton of leads, but it's not necessarily the right audience. So they're not QLing, and we need to make some optimizations uh, on who we're bringing in. 
And sometimes the lead volumes are low, but we see those folks QLing and ultimately becoming customers and seeing our revenue uh, and average sales price go up from there. So we do look at the full funnel metrics, uh, but we're primarily focused on generating those leads. And what would you say your primary channels are that you're running your campaigns through? So I think when you're looking at setting up a campaign, you want to do your research first. So we'll tend to look at um, keyword research uh, and monthly search volume. So we're looking at what are some of the opportunities that we have. The HubSpot blog itself um, has generated a ton of traffic over the years. And we have some content gaps that we'll try to fill with our campaigns. Um, And then we'll also do some audience research and understand what they're looking for. Uh, And then from there, we'll build out that, that asset for the campaign. And when it comes to channels for effectiveness, if we can move into um, a piece of content that generates leads through search, we'll focus there. We know that there's existing demand and we'll try to capitalize on that demand. If we need to generate interest in that short period of time on our own, we'll turn to paid. uh, And we do some co-marketing partnerships. So we're looking for opportunities to generate spikes uh, during that set period of time. And the way that we're able to do that is through Facebook advertising and co-marketing partnerships. And so you kind of talk about the structure of a campaign and the channels you're using to distribute the content. But I think one thing we always look at is, you know, you can't have a great campaign without great content, right? And obviously, Habat is kind of the the 800-pound gorilla when it comes to content marketing, you know, in in the digital marketing world. And so I I guess when you start thinking about a content strategy that's specific um, to that campaign that you're running, are you trying to look at existing content to figure out how to spin it another angle? Are you trying to repurpose content? Are you literally creating content from scratch? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it depends on the business objective. So we have our always on plays, right? Our search team, our blog teams are creating that content to bring in traffic on a consistent basis. Our team's trying to create that spike or that lift during that set period of time. So what we look at is what is the business objective that we're trying to hit during that period of time? And then from there, who's the audience that we're going to target? You know, HubSpot um, has its foundation with the marketing audience, but now we've moved into creating content for sales teams and customer service teams and devs and IT teams who support your website. So for us, we actually um, understand who the audience and objective is first. And then we'll take a look at what content exists. And if we already have strong existing offers and content in our ecosystem, how can we repackage it and promote it? Um, If there are gaps, let's try to create something that new. So I think first and foremost, we want to understand the objective. And then we take a look at the content in our ecosystem and do an audit and analysis of do we want to fill a gap or do we want to simply enhance what's been built? You mentioned a little bit about sales and uh, customer success or in a kind of thinking about the different HubSpot hubs, right? Marketing, sales, and service. Um, Have you, does your team work across those three hubs and building campaigns around them? We do, yeah. So um, I will say like we, again, it comes back to that objective. So if we know that the product team is launching something new um, or we want to drive demand for a specific hub, uh, our team kind of sits between that product marketing and the yep. demand gen space. Huh. And we take a look at both. So what is the search behavior that's out there? 
Uh, and then what is the business actually trying to accomplish? And then we try to come up with a campaign strategy that can meet both those objectives. That's kind of cool. You're like a SWAT, like a SWAT team kind of, right? For product marketing and just general content. That's kind of cool. Um, how long is this position? Have you, has this position always been at HubSpot? Have you kind of transitioned into it or like, you know, how, what's the evolution of this position? Cause it's actually a very, I think, unique position that sits in between a bunch of different areas within marketing. Yeah. So I think the the team is about two years old, close to two okay. years old. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but we are trying, we are trying to kind of fill that or fill that gap or build that bridge, I guess is probably a better way to uh, explain it because we have that existing demand that's coming. We have those business objectives and we want to be able to build a campaign that can help us uh, go to market uh, and drive demand. And what we're seeing is when we lead with education and lead with content, those leads that come in actually do QL on the product. So it's finding that balance of how can we create a content offer or a campaign that speaks to our target audience to bring them in uh, and then ultimately getting them to QL uh, instead of necessarily leading with the product. Uh, so we we try to find that balance and ultimately these campaigns do bridge that gap. So once that lead comes in, we'll build out custom nurturing uh, to introduce them to our products. You know, we, as a, as a HubSpot agency, one thing that we've really tried to focus on is how do you use rich media along the marketing funnel, right? And we all know the, the, the written content strategy, blogging, pillar pages, content offers. Um, and one thing that our agency has really started to focus on is how do we apply that concept of the buyer's journey, the flywheel, right? Um, to rich media. So video and audio. And, um, Jared had mentioned that there was one quote that he had in a communication with you, which basically said like, you know, the barrier to creating audio and video has been like significantly reduced and that audience isn't necessarily looking for like the HBO or the ringer, like quality content, maybe even especially these days, right. With COVID and everything kind of going on. Um, how do you, how has your team started to adapt to this and use audio and video and what we kind of refer to as rich media um, to enable acquisition marketing? Um, it comes down to who our audience is. So generally we'll ask ourselves, if this is a campaign for sales, we know that sales teams are spending a lot of time during the day selling, right? So they're doing email outreach, they're, they're setting up their calls, doing their demos. And so a long form pillar page with a lot of content for that sales rep is probably the wrong content type totally. to communicate yep. with them, right? Yep. So we'll say to ourselves, okay, if we know the rep needs to get a bit of information in a short amount of time, let's look at video. How can we do short form video? How long should it be? And how can we create segments for them to gain information and take actionable um, information with them? Um, so we've started to think through that specifically on the sales audience. One of our recent campaigns, uh, Sell From Anywhere, was built to help people who are transitioning from the field sales model to inside sales because yep. now they're selling from behind their computer and they used yep. to be having lunches and shaking hands. Yep. And so we said, okay, let's create a video series where we're able to communicate to that sales rep, that sales manager, we'll bring on an expert um, and we'll have short two to three minute segments. And the length of the whole video was only 10 to 12 minutes. So it was a way to get them the content and information uh, that they were looking for in the format that that they uh, prefer to, to to consume their their information through. I'm always curious about when you're using video in these types in in these types of um, campaigns. 
What does your tech stack look like? Are you working with like Vidyard or Wistia or any of those platforms that connect into HubSpot so that you can get some intelligence at the contact level about how they've engaged with that video content? And for some context, that's something that we're recommending to a lot of our clients who are doing outbound sales using tools like Vidyard and using that integration to something like lead scoring, for example, where you know, if they played through 80%, you know, maybe, maybe the person that contact designed to gets an alert or something like that. If it's a more middle to bottom of funnel video, um, is that something that is that kind of tech stack, something that you're starting to utilize in your own marketing as you're using rich media? Yeah, we've certainly leaned into, uh, partnerships with Vidyard in the past. Uh, they've been a great partner for us and we've put together, uh, campaigns where we're using their player embedded on the thank you page itself. Um, and built some custom video players uh, for our audience so that we're able to um, track that viewer retention and ultimately follow up with them. Um, and then I think if we're if we're trying to reach a new audience and we're trying to increase the discoverability of the content and it's ungated, we've leaned into YouTube recently. Um, so spending some more time there to try to increase uh, the viewership of that content and introduce them to the acquisition offers within the content itself on YouTube. So um, again, I think it depends the objective of that video itself. uh, And I think you can pick the right tools uh, based on what you're trying to do. Yeah, it's interesting. One thing our agency is really focused on is using like interview style series video content, a podcast or like a five to seven minute interview, right? And, you know, Jared kind of like thought through, like how do we build a process that allows us to kind of use a 30 minute video or an interview as a piece of pillar content, right? And then you take that pillar content and you break that down into, you know, 10 to 15, two to four minute, you know, micro size pieces of video that you can now upload to YouTube. And we've actually brought on a YouTube strategist whose entire job is to just focus on SEO for YouTube, right? How do you build your titles on the videos you're uploading, your playlists, you know, the the descriptions and how we're using those. And the funnel that we generally like use with our clients is a more top of funnel kind of marketing strategy. So it's, Hey, let's, let's build, let's put a ton of content on YouTube that's linking into something that people are searching for so that we can grab that awareness. Right. Um, and then from there, like we'll put a call to action in the description that might go to like a lead gen landing page with a lead magnet so that we can get that sort of middle of funnel conversion. Um, and that's sort of how we see like YouTube as a marketing strategy for us and a lot of our B2B clients. Um, how has YouTube started to fit? It's not like you're starting to use YouTube more and more and more. How has YouTube fit into HubSpot's overall or for your particular team within HubSpot's overall marketing strategy? Many teams at, at HubSpot use YouTube. Uh, yeah. The HubSpot Academy team has done a fantastic job with their YouTube channel and building out that education and ultimately introducing audiences to that application. Um, the way my team has thought about it is very similar to yours, where it is more top of the funnel. We're trying to uh, get exposure uh, of our content to the audience that we're targeting. So we have a YouTube producer and our search team who are working with on um, the specific topic area that we want to cover. Um, they're filling us in on what that keyword uh, volume looks like. And then we're creating content for that audience. From there, we do include the acquisition content in the video itself. So we actually have the host or the person who's talking say, 
check out the latest template. It's in our description and you can go download it and take what we just learned in this video and go apply it. Um, so we've included it in the video content as well as the, the description itself. So kind of trying to pair those two together. Yeah, I think that for us has probably been the hardest part of the funnel is getting them to get into that description, click that call to action, jump over to the landing page, and then obviously fill out that form. Um, that's the For us, I think that's the leakiest part of the funnel that we're just trying to optimize a little bit more. Um, where have you sort of seen that funnel leak, if you would, um, you know, with, with that strategy that you've implemented? Yeah, I would agree. It's, it's, it's definitely a lower volume than other yeah. channels when it comes to lead gen. Um, and, and I think the, the purpose of YouTube is to just expand on some of your channel promotion. So we do have our primary plays where we know we're able to get those submissions. Uh, so we invest in those on each campaign. And then from there, we'll try some experiments. Um, and we go back to where the audience is spending their time. So for YouTube, we've been able to invest there for the sales audience. Um, I think at this point, it's been more of a brand play, just getting our brand and um, content in front of that audience. Uh, and then going forward, we'll continue to run experiments to figure out how can we actually make that more of a lead acquisition channel than just a traffic acquisition channel. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I think that a lot of the value that we see sometimes in YouTube too is just the social aspect of it as well. There's like kind of a news feed, right? And, you know, you're going to get some impression share with your clip showing up in there. They may not click on the video. They may not play it through, right? But again, that your brand HubSpot shows back up in front of them. And if you did all the best practices, like putting the right thumbnails in and, you know, you know, Think, thinking about those kind of details, I think, you know, there's also some value there as well. Maybe not as measurable, right? But there's, I think there's some value there. Oh, absolutely. And I think if you look at some of the top performing YouTube channels, whether that's individuals or brands, um, it operates more like a media company or media property where they're producing yep. editorial content. They're looking to build an audience. So they're trying to build that subscriber base so that when you do launch a new video, they're notified, they're sent an email and you're increasing your distribution. Um, so I'd say that's where we're probably leaning into it more is how can we actually create this media property to build out an audience that then HubSpot can start to communicate with with some more of our lead acquisition content. Could you Jimmy, tell me about a little bit about your production process, like when you're thinking up a video and this is always like kind of the fascinating part to me because um, it, there's a process to it, right? There's a pipeline and Jared very well knows this because Jared handles all of our creative production. Um, but I'm kind of curious, like, you know, going back to the kind of quote you gave us, which is the whole barrier to creating audio and video has been lowered. Um, you know, how, how do you take your approach to producing video or audio content? It does come down to, I think, frequency, uh, and, and budget a lot of times, right? Yeah. Uh, so if you are producing a shorter series and you have the budget to be able to have the production crew, the lighting, the mics, you can do that higher quality piece. Um, but hopefully there's a promotional strategy behind that because it's a, a representation of your brand and you're pushing that out into the market. For something that's built more as like a media cadence, especially now when people are operating from home, yeah. we produced a whole series over Zoom. Uh, and when, nice. we, when we produce that whole series, you have the pre-production, the production, and the post-production. And that's how we break that down. So for pre-production, we're looking at who the hosts are, who the guests are, breaking down the topics uh, and questions that we're going to ask, making sure that we're going to get those sound bites. And then from there, 
we had into production. And within production, we had the host, the guest, and then we actually had a videographer who was on the call to play director. Um, and when someone was long-winded uh, and you wanted to get that answer, you'd have them roll it back and give it to you in a short snippet. Oh, okay. uh, and nice. making sure you're getting those cuts that you're looking for. Uh, and then from there, we went into post-production and that's where our marketer sat next to our video team. And we were able to create the segments and the flow of the video episode uh, we were hoping to do. But um, yeah, I thought our team did a fantastic job just doing it all over Zoom. Uh, and yeah. I think people are more receptive to that because they're on these calls all day. Yeah, totally. Um, curious, for that project you just talked about, how long did it take you from pre-production all the way to finishing post? Um, we had shot four episodes. Okay. Um, and so I would say we probably spent a week or two in pre-production and that okay. was just because of the number of people we were involving. So we were involving um, multiple hosts. We actually decided to change the host of each episode and multiple guests. Um, and then from there, we were able to build out our questions and topics fairly quickly uh, and get those over to the, the members. And then when it came to production, it was more around when folks had time to meet with us. Yep. The video interviews themselves lasted anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. Yep. And then from there, we cut them down to 10-minute YouTube clips. So, Jared, how does that process that Kyle just talked about a little bit or similar or different to the way that we do things? Yeah, it's almost it's almost identical in parallel. We think about it the same way. Pre-production, production, post-production, we lay it out um, in that exact order. We try to treat it like a real TV series or a show. So we think we, we concept everything ahead of time so that we kind of know our blind spots. Then we'll go into obviously the harder core parts of pre-production, which is formatting questions, lining up the guests, who's going to be asking the questions at what time. And then again, just like we're doing right now, this is going to be, you know, whatever X amount of time. And then we're going to trim it down in post-production and, squeeze as much juice out of it as we can in the end. Uh, I think the only differentiator is will we actually edit, we add to a podcast feed. So that may be somewhere where we kind of break off from what your team is doing, but I'm sure this is a similar concept in production that your podcast feeds are, are doing uh, if they're including video, but yeah, it's, it's a very, very similar process. So it's nice to know that we're thinking in the right capacity. <laughs> we're not alone. Absolutely. I appreciated the pre-production. That was extremely helpful getting ready for it. So um, I think if you if you do that pre-production work, the production and post-production actually become that much easier because yeah, you totally. know what you're trying to build. You might have just answered this, but what do you think is the most important part of the overall process? It depends if you ask the marketer or the video. Yeah, as the marketer. Um, as, as the marketer, I'd say really it's uh, pre-production and post. So yeah. when it comes to pre-production, there's a goal right? There's a business objective for our campaign. We want to make sure that there's a narrative that we're tapping into and that our audience is actually getting this tangible takeaway. And you want to make sure those clips are covered in post. Um, so we spend time with the videographer and make sure that we've identified the clips that we really want to highlight. Um, but certainly we, we value the, the um, creative process and making sure things are well lit and that the audio is strong um, because no matter how much pre-production or post-production you do, if it's shot poorly, um, your audience isn't going to have a great experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. And something that we actually hammer home is if you have to skip out on one or the other, bad audio always will lose. Like if you have bad audio, people aren't going to watch or listen. If you have 
bad video and it sounds good, they'll still at least try to listen to it. Um, so we try to hammer that home when we're when we're in that process as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And the light, the lighting's the big piece, right? Yeah. Just don't sit in yep. front of a window. Don't have a shadow on your face. Just make sure that um, it's well lit and it's eye level, and and you're able to to capture what you need. Did you guys send out kits to any of your remote production um, guests or hosts? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, we did not for the campaign specifically. HubSpot has been doing that. Um, so our academy professors all have remote filming setups, uh, ring light with a, a stand to capture their iPhone uh, video. And then they're working with their video team to create those um, lessons and courses within academy. Awesome. Uh, and then the inbound team. So the event, uh, our big event is uh, doing some pre-production work and building some uh, almost like trailers for some of the speakers. And yeah. they were able to get some of the the kits to be able to shoot something from their home. So it's been incredibly impressive. And they also use uh, a remote video software that allows the director and producer um, to actually um, manage the the shoot while uh, it's it's going on live with the professor themselves. So oh, awesome! We'll have to find out what that is. Yeah, <laughs> I could look I could look it up and send it to you. But yeah, we'll um, ask you. <laughs> Yeah, it's been pretty cool how the academy team has done it. Yeah, that's um, I I I know it takes a long time to get just the regular inbound together. I can't even imagine what people have to do right now to do a virtual inbound, and that's coming up pretty soon, right? Uh, we get a sneak peek today. It looks fantastic. Oh yeah, nice. cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Follow up question: to The last one, which is, um, what would you say is the hardest part of producing video? I think it depends the type of video, right? Okay. I would say that I would say that if you're doing interviews, um, it definitely is the hardest part would be working with the guest and making yeah. sure that you're catching those sound bites. Um, like I, I mentioned it before, when they're long winded, a lot of times they have great things to say, but you don't have that much time in your video, and you want to be able to capture it in a succinct statement. Um, and so asking them to say that back and, and almost managing the conversation itself, I think right. is really important. Um, when it comes to some of the other explainer videos we've done, the, the animations that our team does, I think just is incredibly difficult. It's a different type of video and there, there's some really talented folks that we have. So I would say in this style, it's, it's gotta be the pre-production and then making sure you're hitting home on the points you're looking for with the guest. Yeah. I think we, we find exactly the same struggles one part in pre-production that always kind of gets us and maybe this may be different from production to production but guest alignment and you know just scheduling and logistics is always like a hold up um and especially if we're doing it for clients it can be into you know even a struggle in the review sessions when things kind of fall through deadlines get skipped or or missed so um yeah that's usually where we kind of find a little bit of pain yeah i mean as as marketers and, and videographers, you have kind of the vision of what you want to create. I think the producer's role is incredibly important. Just totally. making sure that making sure that folks are on time, they have what they need, that we're capturing what we need. Um, and to your point, who's looking at the first cut? Who's looking at the second cut? Who's signing off on it? Uh, did legal take a look at it? Right. Are we on brand? Are we on message? Um, so I think the operations piece is, is certainly a challenge. Um, as well. When HubSpot set out, like, you know, putting the budget together for marketing or content or whatever, did you have money earmarked specifically for video content for these acquisition campaigns? Or 
did you sort of think, okay, we need to transition into video? Because And the reason I asked this question is because a lot of clients never earmarked any money for to do video content. We'll talk to them. We show them this idea. And then, then they go looking, oh, where we need this this year. We're not going to wait for 2021 to do it. And they need to go looking for budget. So is this something that you specifically try to budget for and get in your P&L? Um, you know, as you plan yearly or quarterly or whatever? I can probably answer that at the marketing level and then probably my team level. So at the marketing level, there is budget set aside to invest in video production. So a lot of times that falls more within our brand marketing efforts. So we're working on creating editorial content and we're trying to create it on a consistent cadence and build that audience over time on YouTube. Um, the Academy team is doing the same thing. So they have investments in the video production, not only for the lessons and courses inside the app, but what's the promotional video um, that is paired with that lesson once it launches and we need to communicate um, that it's live. For my team, we have a set budget per campaign. And then based on the objective of the campaign and the audience, we choose the format that we want to create the campaign in. Um, so we'll lean into audio or video um, at times, but other times we've seen reports and original data do very well, and we'll lean heavily into surveys and industry benchmark uh, reports. So I think it depends on the team and what their objective is, but HubSpot does set aside money to be able to invest in video. Got it. And, and I think what, the way I try to tell our clients sometimes is you got to think about video in kind of two ways, right? There's There's what I call like, ROI driven video, which is, hey, we can attribute, you know, a closed customer back to this campaign that had this particular video. Or kind of like you mentioned at the marketing level with the NubSpot, there's an investment that needs to be made. So maybe you're not driving ROI out of that thing day one, right? But there's a long tail kind of there's a brand lift to it potentially, right? And that's I think that aligns a lot with what you said around a lot of those videos are sometimes coming out of like brand marketing, for example. So I, I and I already asked that question because I think a lot of clients are challenged to think about do I need a separate line item in my content budget to think specifically about video? We always say yes, right? Um, because it is a very different format of content. It has a completely different pipeline than producing a blog post, for example, right? Um, And again, it can be used just like any other content to drive ROI or to kind of be there more as like a longer-term investment. Yeah, and I I would say um, we do look at it from an acquisition team standpoint. It's it's just traffic acquisition. So it's a little different than the lead gen piece. So how can we um, grow that subscriber base? Just like folks do with the blog, right? You want to build up your organic traffic and then ultimately drive people to subscribe to your blog uh, and build that audience. And then from there, how do I monetize that audience? So I think for YouTube, there is this opportunity to build an audience over time through this video content, um, more in a series format than just a hosting platform. Yep. And then from there, how do we communicate with that audience and bring them into our uh, lead pool. Maybe taking like a more macro look at this, you know, in in the position that you sit in with all the campaigns that you've run, 
what kind of trends have you sort of seen in campaigns that have been successful versus unsuccessful? And, you know, like, you know, I know you guys experiment, you guys test a lot, right? And, you know, you start to see other channels like conversational marketing and all those sorts of things really starting to take, take hold. Um, what kind of trends are you seeing and what's kind of working and what's, what's not working or what's kind of gone stale? I think a lot of the, the plays that have worked in the past that continue to work. Um, and at the two that my team focus on are what we're calling micro apps, essentially yep. tools, free tools for folks, email signature generator, website yeah. creator, um, that blog email ideas. signature generator has got to be like the ultimate lead gen piece, the lead gen piece, the end all lead gen, yeah. right? <laughs> we were, yeah, we were definitely proud of, we, uh, we redid the UX UI of that last yep. year and, uh, offered some new templates for folks. So yep. those tools do extremely well because they're capitalizing on, organic traffic. Yep. Um, and you've seen uh, brands like Shopify, they've invested in free tools to be able to support their um, their audiences. So free tools have been a place we've focused. Um, and then the other place is research. Original research does mm-hmm. extremely well for us. Um, so putting out surveys, taking that survey data and breaking it down into actionable analysis for your audience. Uh, we did the Not Another State of Marketing campaign earlier this year. We have benchmarks uh, from marketers uh, globally. And so we've tried to repeat those plays. Uh, We've done some partner marketing as well with reports. Uh, We did an Instagram engagement report with Mention. uh, And we've done some social media trend reports with TalkWalker. And again, just that original data broken down and helping people understand what the trends are and where they're headed um, is something that performs well for us. Things that haven't performed well, I think... Video performs extremely well for gaining the attention of the audience. Making it the acquisition offer has been difficult for us um, because there's a commitment there. Once you complete the form, we're asking you to sit down and spend even more time uh, on the site and consuming that video. I think there's this, I, I call it the, like the iTunes model where it's, I click the button and I get something in return. I used to, click and then I would simply get my song. And so people like that transactional model where I yep. fill out a form and I get something in return where video, you're asking them to spend a lot more time. It's not something they can take away with them. Um, so video has been a place where we're going to focus on promotion and traffic acquisition. Um, I would say it's something we've stayed away from when it came to lead gen uh, behind the form itself. Going back to your comment about the data. So um, that adapts 2020 report, um, that HubSpot puts out um, leveraging. And that was, I think that was a brilliant play on all the data that you obviously have, like almost 85,000 marketers or how many customers you have, right? So I took that data. I thought it was fascinating. So I always read the quarter, the, the last two quarterly reports that came out. And then I realized like, holy cow, our clients probably care about this stuff too, you know? And so I I just actually, I typed up an email. It was just like a plain text email, like from my own inbox, just highlighting some of the points that I thought were really interesting in marketing, sales, and uh, website traffic, lead gen, you know, all that stuff. And um, didn't put a lot of thought into it, just kind of like read it and regurgitated what I thought was interesting. And I, I, I got like so much engagement from previous clients, but also our current clients being like, Hey, this is really valuable information. And more importantly, thanks for summarizing it for us, you know? And so I think that's the example of a really powerful piece of data driven content where 
you're not only getting the primary person to look at it, but now to make myself look smart, right? <laughs> I'm summarizing and putting it back in front of other people, right? And I think that's a really powerful piece because you literally just got two or three degrees of separation and a referral and all that kind of stuff. So um, you mentioned like going back to what works, like salary reports, like benchmark guides, data has always worked. Um, and I don't think that form of content is really going away anytime soon, right? Right. And I think it's how it's positioned. I think our state of marketing and adapt series did very well because they were timely. At the beginning of a year, people are getting their budgets assigned to them. They're starting to plan their strategies for the first half of the year. And we launch a state of marketing report. And so here are the benchmarks across industry. Here's what experts are saying. So as you're building out your report for the year, you have a reference point. And same thing with ADAPT and the COVID benchmark data. We're all going through a very disruptive time and you want to understand what's going on in the industry so that you can make adjustments uh, going forward. And I do think like cultural context and timeliness play a big role in campaigns specifically um, is bringing those campaigns to market to help people at that point in time. Yeah. And I think we fail to realize sometimes as business owners or people who are running businesses that we sit on some really valuable data that if we, if we dug into it just a little bit, slice it and dice it, you know, a couple of different ways, like it actually be very valuable as a piece of content. And I think that strategy of surveying people, gathering the data, summarizing it, um, that's something that just, I don't think changes. So that's, that's, um, that's cool to see that that's continuing to be, uh, a converting or a good piece of content that's working for you guys. Cool. I actually had a couple of questions regarding like, do you guys ever, I know you, we talked about building content specifically for the campaigns that you guys are running and you have very clear objectives, but do you guys ever take content from other teams or other areas, maybe the other podcasts that are available at your disposal? I would say we're, we're certainly talking about this idea of alignment. Um, because there's so much content being created and there's a lot of value there. How do we actually package it so that the audience can interpret it and take away with what they'd like? Um, and so it's actually something we're going to be leaning into later this year is bringing together the brand acquisition product marketing teams and saying, how can we build a campaign or experience that provides the audience with a story of who we are, educational information, and then if they're ready, introduce them to our products. Um, because you, you build each one of those plays generally for your goal and your team. Um, and so we're starting to create that bundle. Uh, we did it in this sell from anywhere campaign I mentioned earlier. It's um, the one we launched this summer to help people transition to inside sales. If you go into that campaign, there's content from HubSpot Academy. There's content from our blog. There's content from nice. co-marketing and app ecosystem partners. And we just said, how can we pull everything together that talks about remote selling in the one place so our audience can access what they need. Um, and that's been very successful for us just because you're you're building your campaign around the audience, not your company goals. Yeah, it seems like it'd be really powerful since each area is kind of focusing on their specific. There's got to be some kind of crossover that's happening. And I imagine that, you know, just kind of like you were saying, pulling everybody together and creating more of like a global strategy to, to build and, and use that content just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And there's, there's also things you can do. I've, like the, the tangible example I can give is pre-production, right? So if we're starting out a campaign and it's all around the same narrative, but there's multiple teams that can benefit from this campaign, our podcasting team, our blogging team, our acquisition team. If we bring a guest on who's an expert for an hour long interview, 
can we do our due diligence in pre-production and make sure we're asking questions and getting answers that each individual team would find valuable? Yeah. So right. then that interview becomes a 10 minute video and then, but you shot 60 minutes. So what is the other 50 minutes being used for? Well, it's being used for a longer form blog post that builds off of that YouTube video. Yeah. Uh, it's being used for different clips, whether that be social posts to promote the series itself. And then we're talking about how do we actually bridge the video and podcast teams um, so that we can ask the questions during the interview and they can be turned into more of those short audio clips um, for the podcast team. So I think you actually have to do it in pre-production and bring people together early so that they can create it later on. Yeah, like that just described our entire process yeah. as we're building even this series. You know, we were like, OK, what pieces do we need for sales? Where do we need for marketing? What do we you know, want to specifically use in like YouTube or LinkedIn or what do we want on the audio platform? So, yeah, we, we, we do the same thing, obviously a smaller scale, but same same concept. No, I think and it makes a ton. Of, you mentioned the sales team, too. That's a huge piece. We uh, we talk about this like you can drive all the demand in the world but you could also lose the deal in the room. Yeah, so exactly. you, need to, you need to make sure that the content you create not only is helping your audience, but how can you go talk to your sales team? How can you talk to your sales enablement team and say, what content do you need so that the individual's experience with HubSpot pre, uh, pre-purchase, purchase, and post-purchase actually matches? They're hearing the same message. They're seeing the same content. We're helping them along that, that journey with us. Um, so that's one place we've been investing a lot in. All right. Final question. We always ask this to all of our guests. What podcast are you into right now? It doesn't have to be HubSpot related, just personal. Personal. Uh, I do listen to Pivot. I know a lot of folks in tech listen to Pivot. Uh, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. That's kind of my weekly listen. Um, on a daily basis, I'm an NPR uh, listener oh. for my news. Those, those nice. are the two I focus on. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts to get my news kind of on the go, um, whether I'm working out or getting ready for work. That's, those are the two I go to. Where can everybody find you and anything related to uh, HubSpot? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. I'm a big Twitter user at Denhoff underscore. Uh, and anything HubSpot, just go to HubSpot.com. There's plenty of content there. Uh, I'd start with our blog. Our, our team does a great job there. I uh, can educate you on any of your business processes. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today, Kyle. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Thanks to Kyle for being our guest. And thanks to our team who helped put this together. If you like what you heard, make sure you rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about the Lights Camera Grow podcast. And for more information about Toby Agency, head on over to tobyagency.co. Thanks for listening.